0: Here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. Security products, the very first buyers of the security product usually out there that's brand new is the adversary. They buy they buy it first <laughs> because they're going to go and break it. They're going to figure out what the ways are around it or through it. And then lo and behold, the thing gets out to market and they've already found ways to bypass it.
1: Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, cybersecurity, how it can help drive better M&A deals, how it can address supply chain issues, what is cyber risk insurance, and of course, how is this evolving field impacting business in general. To help us, we have with us Kareem Hajazi, founder and CEO of Prevalian. Kareem, thank you so much and welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Chad. Pleasure to be here.
1: So we always like to start with a question to help the audience get to know our guests a little bit better. And I've been on a, a kick, I don't know, about finding out what people are passionate about that based on your, maybe they know you through work, maybe they know a social profile or persona, but curious something you're passionate about that those that know you only through work might be surprised to learn about.
0: That's a good question. Um, so interestingly enough, it's, it's photography. I do a fair bit of it. And what's even more interesting is that's actually, I've been formally trained in it. So I have a degree in photography out of all things, but completely jettisoned that career path to do (laughs) what I do now. Which is much more lucrative and probably far more interesting, but uh, the photography has survived on with me as a as a passion and a hobby at this point.
1: Well, and it gives you—I mean, it gives you a creative eye. It tells us you're creative, right? You have to. uh, Some of the photos that I've seen, you know, every my brother's always like, "Oh, they just put a new Instagram filter out, which took care of you know 20 hours of work I used to do." Yeah, (laughs) Uh, but the. You know the framing of it and the capturing of it. there's some absolutely stunning photos. So is it something you get to do? You know, you have a big rig, or you just use an iPhone, or whatever when you go out to take.
0: No, pictures? I do. I'm, I, I'm, I'm well. So it's funny. I, I would say I'm old school, but then then again, the camera I'm using now compared to what I was messing with in the late '90s is like you know, light years ahead. Uh, no, I have a Canon uh, EOS Mark II. It's a proper SLR. You know, one of those big ones. You actually price everyone knows those cameras from watching cameras on the sidelines at, at, at like a football game right. or whatever, where they got the gigantic lens on it. And, uh, that body and, you know, everything with a camera like that is about its lens. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mess with that because I, it's funny, I was doing some iPhone photography for a while, just messing around and then thought it was all right. And then I got my actual camera out and I was like, Oh, night and day. Cause the quality <laughs> of the photo. <laughs> different. You just lose. You know, you go nose blind to it a little when you're when you're so used to taking a picture anywhere at any time with a phone. Right.
1: Oh yeah. It's nice oh, to yeah. get a it's
0: nice to get a good, good camera on it.
1: You have probably the best vacation and family photos of anybody in the neighborhood, would be my guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that most of those are still sadly the the iPhone photos because it <laughs> around doesn't happen very often, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh,
1: perfect. All right. So for context, give our listeners a little bit
0: of information around Prevailion and what you guys do over there. Sure. So we are the world's first compromise intelligence platform. And uh, that's kind of a series of words that don't normally go together because we're inventing it. Um, <laughs> there's plenty of... <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of threat intelligence platforms out there, which a lot of people heard about. There's security intelligence. Uh, you know, There's business intelligence, which I know a lot of business listeners know about. But compromise intelligence specifically is about understanding... And knowing that there's an active breach or specifically compromise happening within an organization that we're able to identify in real time and then deliver that intelligence to our clients. And we deliver that intelligence about themselves, but more importantly, their their third-party ecosystems or partner ecosystems so they can prevent the infection from spreading from that partner to them.
1: And so it's it's less about intrusion and more about, hey, there's somebody in here and we need to stop it. And this is where it's coming from and how we... uh, What's the word I want to use? This is how we fence put a fence around it. This is how we stop it from going any further?
0: Yeah, it's exactly right. It's a preemptive, proactive effort versus something that's more, more reactive. And so unlike something that's looking for vulnerabilities or possible exploitability, we're looking for something that's now already in a state of compromise. And my best and favorite analogy is anyone that's a walking dead fan will get it. You're either a zombie or you're not. And uh we're helping non zombies stay away from getting bitten by zombies. I
1: love it. As a walking dead fan I can resonate with that. That's awesome. Yeah. So all right, cybersecurity is a hot topic. Right? Obviously anybody who has, you know, pay, pays attention to their credit report and what happened with Experian and you can go right. back and what have a target. Like you're always constantly hearing somebody get compromised and oh by the way, all of this information got lifted and now everybody should be freaking out. And so Organizations are Im- implementing and have been for a while, you know, chief security officer roles, right? At least one way of, of doing it is, is building that organization. But when you work with organizations and you start to, to have conversations with them, what is it that you see they're doing that's kind of a flag for you th- that tells you that it's a less than optimal approach
0: to cybersecurity? That's a great question. First flag would be an organization that assumes that compliance is security. That's a really common misrepresentation or mis- misunderstanding. Being in compliance does not mean you are secure. Being in compliance means you're in compliance, which means that you probably have checked all the boxes by some sort of consultant or auditor that says that you effectively have something in the corner that resembles a firewall, and you you say you have antivirus and you filled out the form properly, and therefore <laughs> give you a, a good a good grade. That's one. That's very common because unfortunately. For most organizations you know that is sort of this you know it's a pain point because it's a burden it's cost center to go and buy security products and deploy them. It feels like it's a waste of money especially when nothing seems to happen right it's that this was all preemptive and proactive and I spent the money because I had to and I begrudgingly had to and therefore all well now that would be one Another very common one is believing unfortunately a lot of the hyperbole in the market now, there's a lot of strong marketing that if you just buy this widget or that widget and or this software or this team, you'll be fine. And unfortunately, there is no silver bullet for this kind of thing. And it's an ever vigilant process. So the idea that this is something that you can statically fix is really... It's, it's, it's wrong fundamentally. It's a dynamic problem and it's asymmetric. And we'll get into this hopefully through the conversation. And so, by nature of it being dynamic and asymmetric, means you've got to be the same way in order to defeat it. And so, most people are very static about the approach, and that's that's where they fail.
1: One of so now I'm totally going to go from B two B to consumer, just and I'm totally off script, sure. but I, it just made me think of something. Have you seen the uh, Winston, the Winston box that is on Indiegogo that they're promoting the heck out of for home yet. Net, for home point. networks? Yeah.
0: Oh, wait, I may have. Yes, I did. I did. I never remember what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: I, and I've, I'm looking at that and I'm, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, that's it's phenomenal. And look, as a tech geek, I'll be the first to admit, yes, I am going to get one. But <laughs> I, the, I know there's no silver bullet, but it's funny as I sure. look at that marketing and stuff, that sense of, I have a solution, so I should not be in fear. A- at an right. individual level, it, it compounds when you get to the organizational level. And I love that that quote, compliance is not security, because that's just check, but that's kind of CYA. Like we did the minimum. Whereas Mm -hmm. being proactive and being vigilant is a a totally different mindset almost.
0: Yes, exactly right. No, and you're right on. And, And I hate to say it, and it's not to disrupt that product or any other product for that matter. But the reality is when I brought the term asymmetric, what I was getting at there, and that's a fancy word for simply saying that the adversaries out there that are looking to get in. And when I'm talking about adversaries, I'm not talking about some kids or script kiddies, as we call them, that are trying to mess around. I'm talking about really motivated, in most cases, unfortunately, governments in other countries that have unlimited resources and time. And they can fail many times, Chad. As a security professional and an organization, we can only fail once and then they're, they're in, right? So they can keep trying and fail, but we can only fail once and it's over. So that's what I mean by that sort of unfair advantage they typically have. And with prevailing, we're, we're looking to sort of shift that balance.
1: And so how, when you, so I'm used to, I mean, cybersecurity is kind of a, I I know enough to be dangerous. So, and I find it as a security-minded individual from a consumer standpoint, I find it a fascinating topic, right? You get into all of the data privacy and all the stuff that's out there. But when you, how do you monitor, I mean, you're talking about companies where you've got to be monitoring networks that that span the globe. And so how do you, and maybe we don't want to give away the the product details, but how do you, (laughs) like, I'm just really curious, how do you monitor for or flag, like, hey, we have a situation?
0: Yeah, your your question actually is a very big part of the genesis behind the prevailing product and platform. And uh, that that genesis was that there's so much out there. Uh, there's so much, let's call it attack surface, right? Which is just corporate environments. Sure. How do you track it all, right? And one way, the old way was to try to go, what you know, blanket it with either perimeter security products, And, you know, think about the biggest of the bigs out there, the Cisco's of the world and Google and other companies like that, that have the footprint, Microsoft, another one, right? Right. Or even Apple at this point, they have enough proliferation of their products that they have a pretty good cross section of the world. But even with that, even with those organizations, if you combine all of them, all of the ones I mentioned, you're still only seeing a fractional amount of the infrastructure that the adversaries can attack still. And so you're right. It's insurmountable from that way of doing it. Trying to boil the ocean or blanket the entire world with an Iron Man suit is just not going to work. So the reality is what we've chosen to do, and that question you asked was when we asked ourselves, we said, well, what if we go to the convergence point of where all of this stuff is happening? And that's actually where the adversaries are collecting the intel, where they sort of the drop point of where everything is going to. Basically their infrastructure is what we're targeting as prevailing So when all of all the victims they've effectively infiltrated have malware resident in there. And those that malware is beaconing back out to the what we're calling the command and control. And you've probably right. heard that term before yep. we're there. We're at the command and control now, listening to see who the victims are. So we don't need to go and find all the victims. The victims effectively call back home. Unfortunately to the adversary where we're actually watching and listening. And that's how we know who's victimized. Wow.
1: Uh, it's a total, it's a slight perspective shift, yep. which has very large ramifications for, Frank. for everybody. <laughs> I, this is, I mean, totally not the goal. Are you guys going to do a consumer product?
0: So we, I'd be we interested. In <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny you said that, Chad, because we've been dabbling in this this idea that... Yeah, because you know we could literally look at anyone's IP address and determine whether they have something that is behind it or not, right? The challenge here is, again, education. It's getting people to understand exactly what we talked about in the beginning that, unfortunately, just because you bought the latest and greatest things from Best Buy, or you have the newest router or whatever, or you, or you have AV antivirus on your machine, that false sense of security usually gets people kind of calm and relaxed that they've got what they need to protect themselves. So they've got a Winston now, so they're good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so sorry, Winston, you know, but the rea- the reality is it's not just that it's anything. Unfortunately, the adversaries are pretty sophisticated, but yeah, the consumer scenario is, is possible. We just don't know if the market is ready for it. Even, even organizations have a hard time wrapping their heads around what we're, how we're doing what we're doing. Cause it's pretty, pretty exotic.
1: Well, and as we were prepping for this, there was something that that struck me, uh, that's always been, it's kind of near and dear to my heart because I remember when I started my career, I was in marketing and we were back then when phones had cords. We were, we were focused on, uh, focused on making sure that marketing wasn't a cost center, but turning it into a profit center. But you mentioned turning cybersecurity into a profit center and I'm really curious how, how you would be approaching that.
0: Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I take the words and shift them just ever so carefully and say, actually, we can turn our intelligence, which is really the product of our platform into a profit center. And the way we can do that is, so you mentioned a couple of really great examples. You brought up Target. I think you brought up Equifax. Yep. And in fact, both of those were perfect cases of a third party vendor. Like in the case of Target, it was their HVAC vendor that was their network, their conditioning network was what was hacked that allowed the adversary to get in through that network to then bounce from there into, into Target's main network, right? Or their POS system network. Third party or partner ecosystems are fundamentally weaker. And that's what the bad guys know. They're not going to go pound on your front door anymore. They're going to find that weak screen door through your neighbor's yard and then get through your, go over your fence and into your house because that's an area that you don't have covered because you can't work on your, your neighbor's security for them. You can only handle your own, but if your neighbor's got a gateway to your yard, because you would just assume as much that they're as good as you are, that's your, that's the conduit. So unfortunately that's a real problem. What we're able to do is deliver the intelligence about who is already in a state of compromise to organizations to then preemptively Choose how they work with them and then take that even further to groups like investment groups that can then make decisions on who to invest in, possibly who to short. Right. <laughs> like the hedge fund. Um, then you dive into the whole cyber insurance play, which is that now cyber insurance companies now have the actual, the actuarial data that they need to make those choices on who's insurable and what claims to be paid out and which ones don't.
1: And so this becomes how you manage like I, so third party networks just think about all the things that are connected to businesses right infrastructure i mean it's it's yep. legion right and it so is. then there's a whole element from supply chain or or even managing distributed workforces that may use you know we work with sales organizations to to help them and I'm amazed every time I walk in I, I ask somebody what's your tech stack and I get right. different answers from every individual in there because they're all using free add-on apps or something something here or there that they're giving. You know, unbelievable levels of access to the backbone Mm -hmm. too. And I'd say most of the time, I'm not even sure the companies are aware of it. So how do you, how do you go about that education piece? Not only to make the sale, right? From a, hey, we're doing it differently, but to make people really understand
0: just how vulnerable they are. So usually we have to show them. So you bring up a great point. There's nothing like visually seeing it. It's the most visceral thing when people look at our platform. We have what looks effectively like a search engine. No kidding. It looks like a literal bar with a go or little magnifying glass. And you can type a company name in there or an IP arrange. And usually they'll put in either some sort of partner of theirs or some some maybe even an organization they're looking to acquire and they're looking to get some leverage to change the price tag or change the terms of the deal. Or maybe they need to go buy some acquisition insurance like Marriott probably should have done with SPG. <laughs> um, that's a good example of what a perfect use of our solution to then really, really dramatically change the price tag of something, which is, again, effectively making money, right? And then, yeah, they would literally see in real time, oh my god, look at that. It's almost like looking at a credit report, but a cyber-compromised credit report of an organization over time. And then they can make an informed decision from there.
1: Wow. And so, okay, so this this brings up a couple of quick questions. So, if we talk about, think about everything that's out there, right? I'm, when I mentioned mm-hmm. Winston on the consumer side, there's a whole bunch of Symantec, all those guys. Well, before they were bought, whole bunch of them were doing, you know, consumer security. Now we've got massive companies that are going into cybersecurity, and these things are not cheap, right? I mean, in order in order to manage the amount of data. That is generated and to sift through it, analyze, identify who's been compromised, where their information's going. Then you got the whole dark web component. So when you have all of that and people are spending in some cases millions to protect themselves, how do you deal with the fact and help them understand it's still difficult to stop breaches?
0: Yeah, it's it's again, the way we get them to realize the stark reality is to show them that despite your investment, whatever you've spent in the last year on your cybersecurity budget you're still porous there's still something managing to get out through your perimeter and speak to something on the open web which is where we're collecting the intelligence that that you know of your compromise right and that usually is a pretty startling realization but what's interesting <laughs> is it also helps them tweak their investment they can actually start to say oh man we forgot to turn on the egress rules on our intrusion detection system damn it and then they turn it on and then you know the beaconing sort of stops now they are able to It doesn't mean they cleaned everything up, but at least they've been able to triage rapidly. So there's some of that there. You know, again, here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. Security products, the very first buyers of the security product usually out there that's brand new is the adversary. They buy buy (laughs) it first because they're going to go and break it. They're going to figure out what the ways are around it or through it, and then lo and behold, the thing gets out to market, and they've already found ways to bypass it. And so, unfortunately, because it's a product that's available to just about anyone that needs it, you know, it's not reserved for any special group. They're able to kind of uh, figure it out and break it and and move past it. So there's very little things that there's very few things that are out there that can just handle anything that comes their its way uh, at this point. And we're a testament to that because. We see somewhere to the tune of about one to one point two billion beacons every day from the world of, of infected entities, and that's somewhere around twenty seven thousand different organizations. Over a billion? Yes. Holy. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah that makes me. I'm not going to
1: sleep tonight. Okay, um, <laughs> that makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> so there was another topic uh, that came up in some of the materials you sent over: cyber risk insurance. Now. Anybody who takes a deep breath and thinks a second for the insurance industry should have figured out that this is going to happen. I'll be completely candid and say that it hadn't even crossed my mind that companies might sure. actually be buying this stuff. But I'm, who's underwriting? I know they've got all the data, so the actuarial tables will be set up. But who underwrites it? And how are they going to manage the fact that as more organizations are founded, there will be, continue to be more breaches? And so I would think that would screw up the actuarial tables for cost over time.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting. It's a little in reverse. It's so new and it's been, it's been the dream for a long time. And it's the usual suspects that are actually doing it. So the biggest of the big insurance organizations are indeed the ones that are going to be leading the charge. There are some boutique ones that do it specifically for cyber. However, if you look at some of the more high profile breaches that have happened, cyber insurance was there. But it was only covering a very small fractional bit of the actual problem. Like, for example, informing the victims of the fact that they were breached, right? Or that, that hey, your information may be now available on the dark web. Here's <laughs> a free subscription to X or Y or Z or whatever. Not exactly a very expensive proposition compared to the loss, right? The, the greater play is could you get cyber insurance to help mitigate the pain of, of the, the full breach for the organization, not just simply helping them with the notification part. And to, to date, there hasn't been clear-cut actuarial data, believe it or not. Part of the reason why is that it's hard to get evidence that is clear. It usually takes a long time. When, when something happens like a breach, the process is usually disclosure, then, you know, PR has to manage the, the sort of reputational fallout, which actually further impacts it and complicates it. Then you get something like an incident response team in to help do the actual forensic analysis of what transpired. All that's very long, right? And, and then if you remember Yahoo breach. Yep. You remember how the number kept getting bigger and, and bigger. bigger and bigger? <laughs> yeah, because they kept discovering more and more that they hadn't figured out before. So of course, you can't. insurance would never have been able to really kind of identify that, all right, we finally found the scope and scale of this thing. We can now pay out on it. What's interesting about what we're helping them do is we can give them some hard evidence that this is the systemic success or failure of this organization over time. Here's how they've done over the last six months, for example... Here's all the different malware beaconings that have happened from this organization. Or in some cases, this is how clean they are. Or even better, hey, they got hit, but they remediated really rapidly. You can see it spiked, but then it looks like it was killed very rapidly or, or stifled, which is good news. So they can kind of get a profile of what it's... Think about think of it biologically, Chad. It's the same as health. Right? right. If someone gets sick, but then is pretty quick to remediate and change their ways and eat better and exercise, then yeah, they're a lot more of a, a insurable prospect than someone that doesn't choose to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. So let's change the direction here a little bit. Two questions we ask towards the end of every interview. First is simply, as a CEO, that makes you a prospect for other sales professionals. I'm always curious to understand if somebody doesn't have a referral in or a trusted reference or, or relationship how is it... What What are you finding that captures your attention? What do they have to do to capture your attention and earn the right to get 15-20 minutes on your calendar to have a conversation?
0: Yeah, that's no, good. Um, we have to obviously think through the same kinds of things here. Luckily, with our product, it resonates really well because it's it's relevant and it's pertinent. Research is key. If you know the pain point someone's dealing with, or better yet, if you've got something to help remediate some of that pain, or you can give someone a profitable play back to our original conversation here about hey I'm going to come at you with something that is conventionally this but I'm actually talking about it from this angle which is a fruitful thing it's not a begrudging purchase totally gets my attention um, you know if there's something that can that can give me an edge you know for example when we approach just to take the prevailing example and apply it to anyone else out there that could use it when we started talking to hedge fund managers about the, the fact that our intelligence could be used for investment decisions, and they're like, yawn. And they said, yeah, but it can give you an edge. You know, actually, who's hacked before they do. And they're like, wait, what? And that <laughs> immediately turned the conversation around. So the minute we gave them the sense that there's something that could be profitable or give them an edge, did did kind of uh, pique their interest. So it, it became relevant to them. It was timely, and it, was, it resonated very quickly. And that was key. Part of our research was part of that. So that would be perfect. Fun.
1: Yeah. Perfect. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insights. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services people, one piece of advice you could give that you believe if somebody listened to it would actually help them crush their targets. What would it be and why?
0: Uh listen. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how many times you've heard that one. I love it. Um, super important. Having been a consultant before, a you know, product company CEO, the biggest part of my job was to listen and and then talk after. Uh, so that I was relevant in what I was conveying back. Um, so, as a sales individual, it's unfortunate, that they have a you know, reputation of just being quick to sort of be on the on the on the rapid fire of the value prop. When you actually listen, you might I indeed find even more valuable a lesson in terms of the value proposition for that individual that you can leverage even more more quickly. Yeah, I could not say that better myself. All right, Kareem, If
1: a listener's interested in talking more about the topics we focused on today, or they want to learn more about Pavilion, where do you want us to
0: send them? The website's probably the best. We're about to launch a brand new site here in January. So stay tuned. What you see there is works, but it's definitely going to be rebranded soon. But it's prevailing, which is P R E V A I L I O N dot com. Excellent. Thank
1: you so much for taking the time. It's been an amazing conversation. Thanks, Chad. Really appreciate it. All right, everybody does it for this episode. You know, the drill b2brevexec.com share it with friends, family, strangers on the street. If you like what you hear, do us favor, leave us a review on iTunes until next time we have value selling associates, wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B revenue executive experience to ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening until next time.